The calendar has turned over to August, and that means that college football is right around the corner. We at Iceman and Coach are going to start our coverage the best way we know possible, bringing in the creator of the MacGuffin. This is Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Iceman and Coach. This is the Iceman, Matt Freights. That is the coach, Brad Powell. And you will notice that we have a third box, and that is our special guest who we will bring in in a little bit. Coach, how you doing, buddy? Iceman, doing great. Really excited to uh, get going with a little college football preseason action. I'm excited about our guest today. You know, being a Notre Dame fan, they opened camp up last week, so there's been all sorts of stories coming out. I'm excited about some of the things they have going on. Uh, just signed a new apparel deal, it sounds like. So I'm not crazy about that, but definitely happy about what we have going on today and uh, looking forward to it. Notice that I dressed the part today. I actually dressed up for one of our recordings. So this means it is special. So I want to bring in our guest, and I did allude to that at the beginning. That is Tyler Budge, who is the creator of The MacGuffin, and you can find him on TikTok at CF Budge, and that handle is scrolling at the bottom, and it will be in the show notes for the podcasters in the audio space. Tyler, thank you for taking out the time, my man, and welcome to Iceman and Coach. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Uh, it's great to be here. This is, uh, I didn't want to reveal this too soon to to put any pressure or anything, but this is my first guest appearance on a podcast. So uh, just excited to be here, excited to talk ball. It's one of my favorite things to do. So I appreciate you guys having me on. That is a fun fact. Brad, did you know that? I did know that. I knew you had started your own podcast Um I hadn't seen, I figured if you'd been on something, I probably would have picked up on it uh, somewhere along the line, but uh, you never know, man, like you've kind of exploded really quickly, especially in the college football space with going to Pac-12 media days and stuff like that. So I still, it is surprising, man. And, and I'm excited that uh, you're giving us this opportunity. Yeah, 100%. Um, so the the MacGuffin, I, I hear, is, is what you guys are wanting to hear about here. Yes, uh, definitely. I do. I mean, we did talk about it a little bit, but I think that it is such a cool concept that our listeners and viewers should know more about it. And so we'd love to hear about it. Yeah. So for those of you that are elementary on the MacGuffin out there, uh, it's not it's not it hasn't gone worldwide yet. We're still working on that. I'd say it's it's more regional at this point, uh, even though through the means of the Internet, it's reached all parts of the country. Uh, basically, what the MacGuffin is, is it is the transitive property or the tidal belt or the lineal belt, however you want to describe it. But basically, uh, transferring from the winner of each game, starting with the very first game uh, in college football history. So that's way back in 1869. Rutgers and Princeton play each other. Winner of that game gets the quote unquote MacGuffin. And so the, the initial pit pushback I always get from people uh, when I when I pitch this concept is is they're like, well, why don't you just call it, you know, the title belt or the lineal belt or the transitive property? And I don't know why, because the MacGuffin, it just is a word that has really stuck with me. And, and the MacGuffin initially comes from uh, Alfred Hitchcock, who is a director that a lot of the younger I'm probably not even supposed to know that he's a thing um, that he exists. But uh it's a, a term he coined that's in the movie industry, and it's it's a plot device that doesn't matter what it is. It can be literally anything, and its sole purpose is to drive the plot forward. So some examples of a MacGuffin in, in movies would be like the Death Star plans in Star Wars, right? Could be anything. Hey, we have to get this, 
you know, the Death Star plans or there's uh, there's the, the the idol at the beginning of Indiana Jones, which is uh, coincidentally what was my profile picture for a while uh, on Twitter. Nice. So I have to ask, like, motivated you or drove you to, like, go down this road? Like, were you just sitting around one day and you're like, you know what, like, you know, let's go back to the beginning of time in college football and find out who won the first game and just who kept winning from that point. I mean, where did you get this idea? Yeah, so I think one of the things that makes college football so unique as a sport is th- this type of like concept is something people really can cling to because there's a lot of teams in college football. There's over 130 now, and not everyone can win the title every year. Uh, and there's such a small fraction of teams that can compete for the title. So fans look for other things to sort of cling to. And so me being a lowly and humble Oregon State fan, I, I didn't have national titles to cling to, but I kind of just was sitting on one, uh, it was probably the middle of the summer, so like no real sports going on, and I believe it was 2018, uh, so just summer vacation for me, because I was back in high school back then, and uh, I just was like, you know, I just like thought of it in my head, and I almost couldn't put it into words, because when, when you've been explained what it is, it, it makes sense, you're like, yeah, the transitive property, like it, each team passes it on through wind, but trying to put that in the words is hard. And I find it's still kind of hard sometimes to put into words. And so I remember trying to like explain it to my dad and he was like looking at me like I was crazy. Um, and so then I just started, I just you know looked up like, okay, first college football game. Okay, there's that one. Okay, who won this game? And uh, definitely starts to get a little complicated. There, there's times where, you know, the records aren't there, the data isn't there. You have to like go look through like old yearbooks or like old archived articles and just, just stuff like that to, to find the results. But I mean, really, I think it's just it boils down to answer your question is the nature of college football, finding obscure things to cling to. You must have learned a lot doing that, though. Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. Like you just learn so many things that like as a younger person, I didn't necessarily know, like trying to think of what some of the more surprising teams like I obviously knew about like Miami's run and I knew um you know, some of those other teams were really good. But I, I do remember there were things that surprised me. The, the beginning, you can't really learn much because you've just got like eight teams that exist. But I think it was Tulane was in the SEC for the longest time. That that was something that blew my mind. I had no idea that was a thing. But um, you, you do learn quite a bit just going through uh, the archives of college football, I found. Yeah. And traveling trophies, you know, because I kind of look at this as a traveling trophy of sorts. Right. And traveling trophies are definitely ingrained in the tradition of college football. But what I want to know is you explain how you had to dig a little bit for some of these different results. Was there somewhere you really got hung up and you weren't sure if you were going to if you were going to be able to find the answer to move on? Yeah. In like the in like the 1930s, I think uh, St. Mary's College, I can't remember if it was St. Mary's or it might have been like UCLA or something. It had to have been St. Mary's. They lost to a team that was not a college team. I think they lost to like a high school team. And so I had no idea what to do with that information. And I was really confused. It actually might have been the 1920s now that I think about it. So I remember I went back and forth on like what I should do with that because it was such a bizarre occurrence. But if I remember correctly, it creates like a branch in the MacGuffin path. And both the branches eventually converge and it gets back in rhythm on the same thing, which is is pretty neat. And it converged in like 10 years. So, you know, it just shows the MacGuffin is true and it'll always find its way back to itself. That's amazing. So you have basically created like Albert Einstein's theory for college football. And like, were you nervous, though, that the path wasn't going to converge like that? Because you spent time doing this. So you've valuable time looking this up. And now you're like, okay, there's two branches. What happens if they never converge? 
this is a sham or were you just like, I'm going with it? I mean, eventually, I'm sure if one of them got too weird, I was just going to be like, OK, this one's the can in line and that can just be like an honorable mention thing. Um, something that recently a lot of people really wanted it and I knew it was going to be a mess. So I kept putting it off. People wanted the reverse MacGuffin or li I like to call it. Um, what is it? Chekhov's MacGuffin, because that's uh, the opposite of a, of a MacGuffin is Chekhov's gun. And uh, that one is a complete disaster. That was the biggest dumpster fire because you get three years into it and you're just like, okay, they just lost to like a middle school boys club or something like that. That, that didn't happen. But it stuff like that and like teams canceling their football programs, like that was a complete disaster. So at least with the MacGuffin, you're able to stick with teams that are, are winning more routinely. So the records are better kept usually. Yeah, I watched that video and I was like, man, this is a mess. And like the fact that you hung with it as long as you did was really impressive. And just all the random teams that, you know, just like you said, cease to exist or whatever else. And it's funny, like what I think about what I was hearing you read off some of those teams that were involved. Like, so I live in Peoria, Illinois, and it's home to Bradley University. So Bradley's a mid-major basketball program. That one of their claims to fame is they went to back in the day you could go to both the NIT and the NCAA and they were I think it was 1955 they played in both the NIT and NCAA national championship against the City College of New York so it's like if I'm telling people about the history of Bradley I'm like well they've been in the national championship like well who they lose to expecting you to say like Duke Kentucky Kansas oh well the City College of New York who <laughs> does you know it's like not a division school division one school I don't even know if it is a school anymore if they turned into like NYU or whatever but. It's just funny, all those, like, back then, it's almost like uh, high schools now, right? There used, every little town had a high school, and they all competed in sports, and they've all consolidated or closed. It, it's kind of weird to think of college athletics doing the same thing. Got a fu funny tangent on uh, Peoria, actually. My first um, beat covering in college, like my freshman year, was Peoria, Arizona. And so I had to turn like Google alerts on for Peoria and like, you know, had to like keep track of the stories there because I, I was I went to a journalism school um, and I would always all the time this would happen. I'd find like a news story. I'd be like, that's awesome. And then I'd look and I'd be like, Peoria, Illinois. Dang it. Like so close. <laughs> so I actually have a weird relationship with Peoria, Illinois, as it is already. Yeah, it's definitely weird. You see that pop up. And I know there's a lot of uh, like the world headquarters of Caterpillar. Uh, was in Peoria for a really, really long time. And so, you know, people retire and everything else. There's a ton of Peorians, if you will, that are not, you know, retired to Arizona. It happened, you know, it's just, I'm sure there's a large population down there. And I, that probably happens from everywhere in the Midwest. I'm sure that Peoria or Illinois is not unique to that. But I know that, I mean, there's, it, you know, Peoria Airport, you know, there's maybe eight flights, eight cities they fly out to, but Phoenix is one of them. You know, it's it's just a very busy I don't know what you call it, lane of traffic for people around here. This was fate, folks. It was, it was. I've been waiting my whole life to meet someone from Peoria, Illinois. That's excellent. Me too, by the way. So, Tyler, I have a question for you because I'm thinking in your in my head as you're talking about how college football fans, they love to grasp onto things. And I think sports fans in general love to track things, you know, title belts, things like that. And for the NFL, fantasy football has become something that people gravitate toward. Like, you don't have to be super into football but it gives you something to latch onto that makes you more invested in the product. You're already invested in college football, but has going through all of this and now tracking it up until now, like you know who the MacGuffin is heading into the season and you're going to track it through the season. Does that give you even more love for the sport to have this other entity that you've created and tracked your whole existence as a, you know, a student 
Uh, does it give you more oomph when you're watching the product? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I already, I mean, I already love the sport. And obviously, you've got to love the sport to do something as, you know, psychotic as this in your free time. And uh, it's just awesome. I, I, I've like gone back, I've done the math, I've crunched the numbers to see if I was ever at a MacGuffin game. I've never been to one. So that's something that I, I think I'll always be chasing. And uh, I remember I was I was in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, when the MacGuffin game was happening in Pullman. And I was like looking up like how far of a distance it was. But I, I was at um, I was with my girlfriend's relatives visiting. So I couldn't convince anyone to drive me up. They didn't even try because I knew that would be, you know, that'd be a bad look. But uh, it, it definitely gives it an extra oomph. And uh, what gets me just excited is seeing other people get excited about it. And, you know, seeing people commenting like, where's the MacGuffin? I, like, who's what do you think is going to happen? I my most common request on my account it has got to be people just asking for MacGuffin path predictions for you know, MacGuffin history. And, and there's so much to like unpack and to dig into that. Like, it, it just is like, at, from a content perspective, it's great, because it's just basically unlimited content. And also from a fan perspective, it's amazing, because it, it does give an extra game, just an extra oomph every week. And then when the stakes get bigger, like when the MacGuffin was at college game day last year, UCLA, Oregon, it just gets m- more and more hype. So I, I'm predicting this now, you know, because it happened to Barstool Sports when they blew up. CF Budge is on its way to becoming a really big deal. Down the road, five years, 10 years, there will be the Budge Bowl, and it can be for the MacGuffin, you know? So that's what you got to set it up as. Whoever currently holds the MacGuffin against, you know, you could find a conference champ you want to pull into it, or maybe just, uh, you know, an at-large or whatever else that that is for the MacGuffin every year to finish the season. And I think it would rival the national championship. I was going to say, I'd, I'd have to compete with the, the playoff if the MacGuffin holder was ever highly ranked enough which with the expanded playoff that's going to be even harder to do but uh my i i'd never be able to do that because my at large bid would be the mac conference because the mac has never held the mac guffin coach is a big maction fan just about every year he tries to sell people on hey you're missing out on thursday night maction or friday night maction absolutely you're missing out on tuesday night maction we, t- we talk about that during the football season how like right now i mean you can pretty much find football on tv almost seven days a week in, in the fall uh, real close to it anymore. You might get maybe Wednesday off, possibly. But between the MAC, the Monday night football, Thursday night game, I think, um, you know, there's some games on Friday nights even now. And I know the Big Ten at once upon a time was playing on Friday nights a little bit. Is the Pac-12 playing on Fridays occasionally? Oh, yeah, they're playing on Fridays frequently. That's where that's where the weird stuff happens. Yeah, and and so, I mean, we just have seven days a week of football or nearly in the fall. And I love it, man. I wouldn't have it any other way. Seriously. I agree. So Tyler, you picked TikTok as your social media avenue of choice, or at least your your main one. Uh, very smart because I think short content or shorter content seems to be what's driving as we do an hour long podcast right now. But have you found it to be stressful? Have you found it to be easier? Because I your content is very simple and it's very effective and you have cornered a market that I haven't seen anybody else corner. As a matter of fact, I've seen other people imitating what you're doing, not as well, by the way, for the NFL. But it, how, how has that journey been for you? Because TikTok is sort of a, a newer anomaly in the social media space. Yeah, so it's it's an interesting thing because yes, m- not necessarily even my generation, even younger than my generation, uh, the attention spans are just absolutely through the floor, you know, like longer than a minute and most kids are just absolutely out. They're out. And so um, it's, it's an interesting balance because, um, TikTok also wants creators to be producing longer, 
like, and I say longer, like over a minute long content. They don't like short like clips. They don't want to become the next like Vine where they're doing like seven second clips. So it, I don't necessarily find it stressful. I actually enjoy the the short form video. Um, and, and I find it really easy to get like ideas across. And if a video or a, an idea is ever too long, I'll just split it up into multiple parts. And that's multiple parts getting people to come back. But I mean, the attention span for, for this young generation, you've got to hook them. Like you've got to have a hook in the first two seconds of the video where you're loud and you're in like, that's why in most of the videos, if you just go through and you have like a series of my videos in a row, every video I'm up like in the camera and I'm like, who is that? Like it is a loud like hook delivery because if you don't get them right off the bat, they're just gone. Like, I don't know if you've, you've seen the, the memes or any of the references, but it's a thing where they'll have like a movie clip po posted up here. And then there's like a subway surfers clip, or it'll be like a family guy clip in the bottom because the first clip isn't enough to get the kid's attention. They need something else to stimulate them while it's developing or whatever. So it's, it's pretty bizarre. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we haven't yet to figure that part out because we're not loud and right in the camera, but the attention span part is definitely true. I know I have that fight sometimes with Coach and some other people that we know in podcasting, but my question also is, how do you deal with the negativity? Because I know as you get larger and we're nowhere near where you are, so at this point, I would assume that you've had trolls, you've had haters come by. Do you just let it sort of roll off or is, was it a hard a hard thing to to ignore at first? Yeah, I, I'd say it was definitely a hard thing to ignore at first. I mean, it, it's something where just your natural online instinct and especially my natural online instinct as a sports fan is to engage in a commentary and it, you know, it, sometimes it gets ugly, it turns into an argument. And, and that's just the nature of sports fans. You're both passionate. It's, it's, you know, my team's better than your team or this is done because of this. And so your natural instinct online is to reply and to start that, that conversation that's bound to turn into an argument. And so I think that is something that I, I struggled with a little bit early on. I remember I would like I would engage with people that were commenting stuff like that and, and not even necessarily just tied to sports, but just like either hateful stuff or just negativity. Um, like they'll try to like discredit you or whatever. And I've, I've found that it, that's never good. It never leads to anything good, especially, you know, when your face is out there, when your brand is out there, because no one's going to remember user 1384 in that argument. Everyone's going to remember CF Budge in that argument. So. Um, as things have gone on and as I've had more of like an internet footprint, I've, I've definitely gotten a lot better at just letting things roll off my shoulders and just on to the next, you know, I, unless it's, it's like, uh, I'm getting like ratioed by a stitch and then I'll just respond with a video. I find that engaging in the comments is never like, it's almost never productive. Uh, my favorite activity is just responding to comments with, with the handshake emoji or with like a question emoji if I like disagree with them because you know no one can get mad at emojis but I've definitely found yeah you, it's best to just let it roll off your shoulders and and just go about your day what I would find most frustrating in your shoes is especially when it's people arguing about maybe a take that you have or a video you've done um, that are fans of other teams is in most cases you probably know more about their team than they do and so it's got to be really hard for you to kind of hold back sometimes because you know we talk about on our show about you know, fan is short for fanatic, right? And and logic and reason is not a big part of fanaticism in any way, shape, or form. Um, it's just blind loyalty. And and you, yes, you have teams you're a fan of, or but you're able to step back and you just love college football and and all the stats and history that come along with it. And you invest your time in studying these things. So it, it does have to be incredibly frustrating once in a while to deal with 
some of the pushback you do get because you you're that you definitely know more about what's happening with a lot of these teams than most people out there. Yeah, I'm, I do find it. Um, one of the things that drives me, I think, the most insane is when, uh, and and I've I've learned to just let this like humor me as much as bother me. But I'll have a guy with a Michigan profile picture comment, Michigan too low or something like that, and I'm just like, how do you, like are you not making the connection here? Are you not like connecting the dots? Like, I think there might be a little bias here. So I found I, I typically don't try to respond to those comments, and you know, other people in the comment section will usually correct them for me. But I find if I ever respond to something like that, it's with just my own video, just talking about how this misconception exists. Like I, I say a Michigan guy, cause I actually made a video, I posted it today, uh, talking about how I think JJ McCarthy's overrated and that Michigan fans have been hyping him up a lot. So uh, I, I, I tend to just like to respond in a way where I can kind of control the dialogue. And that's what the benefit I get from, you know, having my platform and most of those people commenting, not necessarily having a platform. So um, I find that's the best way to respond and get all your thoughts crossed because there's only so many characters in a uh, comment and there's only so many characters to be civilized in a comment. So yeah, it's something that bothers me a little. But to their fans' credit, there's 133 college football teams. So, like, I'm not going to be as well-versed on all of them as a true like fan. Like There might be a fan, and if they're looking at the right stuff and they're actually like up-to-date on their team and they've actually done that work, I have no doubt that a Virginia Tech fan could be more well-versed on their team than me. I know some of the key details. I know what what I know and I know what I think, but um, it's not, you know, it's obviously not the end-all be-all, but there are times, yes, where the blind loyalty definitely clouds the judgment. And and you can even point to something as simple as like, hey, Boston College fans, your over-under win total is 4.5 this offseason. You're not winning eight games. And then, oh, well, I don't know. And it's just like, a, well, it happens every year in the NFL when the schedule comes out, all of these franchises, let's take Jets, Browns, Lions, they always go through the schedule and they're like 14 and two, 14 and three. And you're like, what? Like you were two and 15 last year. How are you going to do that? And college fans have to be even more so that way, because I have found, especially in the South and in areas where they're not as highly populated, those college teams are like their pro teams and they are rabid about their fandom. And it's everywhere, but I'm saying there are pockets in this country where they feel that way. Like in the Northeast, Boston College fans will come at you, but they have other things that they're worrying about, like Red Sox and Patriots and stuff like that. But when you get these areas where there's not a heavy pro presence, I can see that. And I just love how you you navigate that by taking taking the reins and making a video about it instead of getting in there in the comments and I know I can learn something from that myself. Yeah, it can be, the comment section can be a brutal place. But I mean, in reference to, you know, the hype or delusion by the fan base with no pro teams, look at what happened with Nebraska every year. Uh, they've been a team that is consistently, the hype train gets rolling in the offseason and you're like, hey, wait a minute, what's what's going on over there? Yeah, Nebraska fans were the first fan base we pissed off when we first started the show because we were not very kind to Scott Frost and he ended up getting fired very shortly into the season. So we felt a little bit liberated on that. But Tyler, before we move on to actual football for this upcoming season, is there anything else you'd like the viewers or the listeners to know about your TikTok or something that maybe was an interesting part of the journey to get you where you are here? I mean, I'd, I'd say that the, uh, the the journey itself uh, is, is not going to be all too interesting because all it was was just consistently uploading quality content and consistently uploading my ideas and doing that every day. And so I, I truly believe that anybody that does that consistently on any platform, not just TikTok, 
I think that there's a, a niche of people out there that are are there to listen. As, and as long as you're consistently putting out quality content, you know, someone's going to find it eventually. So I think that just happened really fast, really recently, which is pretty awesome. Well, don't forget, support Tyler and everything he has going on. You can find the handle to TikTok scrolling below on YouTube and in the show notes. And also, if you have an opinion that you want to give to Tyler or, or us about something that he said, you can call or text the show 703-718-6314 is the number to do that. So college football, the season is right around the corner. We want to start talking about college realignment or conference realignment because there's been a lot of things happening in the news. So right now, recently, we had Colorado jump to the Big 12 and everything Coach Prime has. And I believe the rumor on the street is the Big 10 is trying to add four more teams. I believe that includes Florida State, Clemson, Oregon. Can't remember the other teams. But it looks like this is all starting to reach a fever pitch with this new expanded playoff coming up. And so how do you feel about realignment because of all the history you did and where you started with the MacGuffin with eight teams and now here we are with, this is beyond what I think anybody thought college football would be like even 20 years ago. Yeah, uh, I think realignment is something that is impossible to predict right now because the things are kept so under wraps. I don't remember a single person calling UCLA, USC before that news dropped or Oklahoma, Texas kind of feels like those two things hit just, you know, the day of Colorado. I feel like there might have been a little bit more foresight because I remember hearing the reports that they were a bit of a flight risk. But uh, I mean, realignment's nothing new. And uh, all you're looking at, in my opinion, is uh, just a shift in where the power in college football lies. And especially I think the biggest and most dramatic fallout would be if, if the Pac-12 falls, conference falls completely. You're just going to see those West Coast teams start to drop off. I mean, looking back to the origins of college football, you realize, hey, guess what? The the East Coast, you know, and the ACC, that region used to be a power in college football because that's where it began. And you look at what the ACC kind of has and not even just the ACC, but the teams in that region. And you look at what they've done recently. No offense to Virginia Tech. It just hasn't been there. It just hasn't been there. And, and the teams that have succeeded in the ACC, it's the teams that are further south. So. Um, you're talking regionality, you're talking about the power shifting. This is nothing new to college football per se. It just has never been quite as seismic as the moves we're kind of seeing right now. One thing I find fascinating about college realignment is people's opinions are very age related or generational, right? Because I think the older generations, they look at this and they're like, well, geography, who wants to travel from Los Angeles you know, to New Jersey to play a Big Ten football game, where I think the younger generation, people that probably are more willing to hop on a plane and travel across the country for something like that, uh, does, they don't see that as an obstacle. And the other thing that is kind of a dated thought process, in my opinion, is the market size. Back when cable TV kind of ruled out, market was very relevant. But now I think it's more brand driven as opposed to how big a TV market is. Because with streaming and everything else, I mean, like, throw markets out the window. The brands are what sells. That's where the money is. And and then I think, too, when it comes like the Big Ten, especially, I think on the periphery of it all, you have academics. Now, we'll see how long that lasts as all this kind of progresses over time. But I know that I think every school in the Big Ten, Sands, Nebraska, is what, what do they call Is it a... Is it AAU? Is that the term? Or it's some sort of academic, you know, uh, classification. And I think Nebraska is the only team that doesn't fall in that category. And so, you know, they've sort of, you know, put themselves up on a pedestal as far as who they'll take academically. I think there'll come a time where, you know, they're going to have to decide if they're going to stick to that or not. And 
I wonder if 10 years down the road, if this looks like instead of you know, the Power Five, it looks like the AFC and the NFC, the Big Ten and the SEC, two super conferences. And by super conference, I mean 20 plus teams or something each, and then a playoff transpiring from there. Now, who knows what that could look like? It's just, I, I like you said, I think all bets are off as far as predicting what's going to happen because it's kind of the Wild West right now. Yeah, I mean, that's unfortunately for, I think unfortunately, but the reality is a lot uh, in college football is moving towards the professionalization of the sport. And uh, the I think the argument isn't necessarily whether or not it's heading that direction. It's, a, it's how far they're going to go in that direction. So yes, the extreme of that, I think would be AFC, NFC, literally just SEC and Big Ten around the world. And then there's a bunch of these smaller colleges, you know, trying to stay alive. I do think that there's a scenario where the dust kind of settles and the Pac-12 is able to regroup with, you know, SMU, Rice, and San Diego State with their, you know, whatever teams they have left. And then they're just going to be a slightly lower conference and you're going to have the Big Ten and SEC still there. Because I I think one of the uh, hesitations that those conferences have had is making that next leap to adding more teams. They're kind of the teams that are already in that conference. I'm thinking about your Vanderbilts and your Northwesterns. They're worried, "Mm, we don't really want our stuff to be diluted from here. So kind of in the context of the SEC, it seems like the the whole conference might not necessarily be in favor of expanding further because those those teams that realize they're on the bottom rung are going to start to get, I think, cold feet in those conferences. And what kind of an effect do you think it's going to have on play now? Because these schools are obviously looking at their moves that are coming up, all the NIL deals that are out there as well. I mean, NIL has been a big paradigm shift in college sports and the schools that have the money that are able to put together these programs to pay. I don't know if you saw that Tua Tua Tungvaloa's brother, who's at Maryland, was offered like almost $2 million to go to an SEC school or whatever it was, something like that. And those kinds of things are going to happen. And do you think that the realignment and all of these shifting of schools is affecting anything that's happening now? Like, are are players going to wait to go to schools because they're waiting for them to go to another place? You know what I mean? Like, all the transfer and everything, is that still very much in flux until this conference realignment is at least somewhat in a concrete state? Uh, I think the sense that I've gotten from players, and especially, like, the sense that was at Pac-12 Media Day when I was there, which is kind of the closest I've gotten to firsthand seeing players react to that sort of stuff. Like I, I saw Caleb Williams field a question about, ooh, USC going to the Big Ten. Like, what are your thoughts on, you know, leaving the conference or whatever? And it seems like it's kind of the same sentiment from the players and coaches. They don't really care. They just want to play ball. Like, obviously, I think for recruits, that might be a big thing where the types of teams they're playing. Like if you're a guy that, you know, grew up in California, you're saying, hey, I want to play California schools and maybe USC going to the Big Ten isn't the best. But I mean, people have different preferences. You know, if if somebody's like, I want to play for a team that can, you know, win a national championship, they say, oh, going to the Big Ten is better for us. So I'll go to USC or something like that. For the most part, I don't think that that's something that plays too big of a factor for for these kids coming out of high school and for guys in the transfer portal i don't don't necessarily think that's probably at the top of their list of things because there's so much else like nil that um i think we'll go into that i think nil has actually done a pretty decent job it's still obviously very messy but kind of self-regulating um with with these schools for the the budgets that they have and you know realizing hey if we're gonna fork out all this nil money we're not going to have the money to build a weight room this year or something like that. So it's actually kind of balanced its way well. And I, something that's been encouraging to me about the the transfer portal and NIL kind of as a combo is you've seen lots of different teams have success with it. Like you've you've got uh, 
Florida State having a lot of success with the transfer portal. That's kind of as expected. It's one of those schools that you think that happened. But you've also got a team like SMU and Louisville and Charlotte having a lot of success with the uh, transfer portal uh, just because of the coaches they bring there. So I think the something that's been encouraging to me about the landscape shifting that's giving me you know faith it'll work out is sort of uh, just the variety of teams that have been able to kind of take advantage of it. So, Coach, before you get in there, Tyler, so am I hearing that you're kind of, you're not necessarily not a fan of all of this, but you definitely feel hesitant about this because is it taking away some sense of purity of the game that you fell in love with? Or or what is your hesitation about where this is headed and how you're you're needing to sort of feel reassured with some of the things that are happening with NIL and the transfer portal? Yeah, I think my biggest concern is is losing the regionality of college football as far as realignment, that's my number one concern about the shifting landscape. With NIL, I think it's definitely opened a lot of avenues for players to just get basically paid by boosters, which was not the intention. The intention was like, hey, look at a player like Johnny Manziel, they should be able to profit off of being Johnny Manziel, stuff like that. And so I feel like the NIL has been a little bit of a monster that, you know, they they kind of let out of the cage. There weren't enough guardrails in place. Um, I do think they're making good things happen. The transfer portal, I honestly have loved how it's been. I think it's nice that they added a little, recently they added a little thing where you can't transfer twice unless you get like approved by the NCAA. But um, I think it's really upgraded um, the competitiveness in college football because now, uh, especially quarterbacks is the position I look to, good quarterbacks are not being backups anymore in college football. They are just jumping ship and going somewhere that needs a quarterback. And you're seeing a lot of places where we would have been seeing significantly worse quarterback play. We're seeing significantly better. Uh, and another great pro of NIL is great quarterbacks are willing to stay another year because they're going to be getting great money. And not just quarterbacks, great players are willing to stay. Look at Jared Verse at Florida State. He was a projected first-round pick, sticks around because he's going to get some NIL money, and that takes a little bit of the pressure off of going and getting that rookie deal in the NFL. So those are some good things, but there's obviously, I think, bad that comes a little bit of bad with change. Yeah, one thing that uh, as a Notre Dame fan about NIL it, that a lot of their fans get upset about is they're not willing to offer the bag of cash up front. They're not they're not willing to buy recruits. And there's fans that get really upset about it. And they're like, you know, we've got to get on the same level as a lot of these other schools. We're never going to be able to recruit at the level we want to recruit at if we're not willing to play the, the NIL game that as aggressively as everyone else. And, and they've sort of good, bad, or otherwise, taken the high road on NIL, if you will. And now, they have NIL programs, but it's more of a, you come in here, you get established, there will be opportunities, as opposed to, we're going to give you seven figures just to come here, unproven, or whatever else. And uh, what's nice is they did, and of course, the name um, the name escapes me, but they did just uh, they did just get a commitment from a, uh, a linebacker from California, beat out USC in Ohio State for him. And the reports are that I believe it was USC came in late and offered seven figures. Like, come on, man, let's go. And he still chose Notre Dame, which is really exciting because those are the types of guys that, that Notre Dame has been getting beat out on by the Ohio States and USC's of the world for years and years. And so to, to see them maybe start to turn the corner, especially if they're not, you know, they're just not outbidding them, but they're maybe just out recruiting them. Uh, that's been exciting. And, and I'm sure that there's, things that are getting promised in some way, shape, or form. I'm not naive to that, but it's definitely been interesting to see the Notre Dame fan perspective of NIL based off at least the public personification of how they're, they're willing to handle things. 
Yeah, that's the reality of the landscape right now is is you can take the high ground and you can take the or the high road or what what high road not high ground. This isn't you know this isn't Revenge of the Sith, but uh you nice. you can take that. But it, until the NCAA puts those guidelines in in place, I mean you can't hate the player, hate the game because it's legal, it's allowed right now. So it's the wild west out there. And Notre Dame's kind of a wild card in a lot of this because they don't have a natural conference that they are aligned to and they love their independence. I'm sure, Coach, you can attest to that. And they sort of have used that as a way to differentiate themselves. They have their own media deal with NBC, all of that. And they're not going to be able to sit it out a lot longer or they're going to be somewhere on the outside looking in. And I don't think as a program and a brand, they can really afford that. So they're they're going to have to compromise their morals at some point. Well, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens because me, per, most Notre Dame fans, like you said, they are very prideful about their independence and and very serious about wanting to remain independent. And it seems like most of the people in power at Notre Dame feel the same way. Me personally, based off geography and everything else, I mean, I would love to see them in the Big Ten. I think that would be wonderful. I mean, just there's a lot of natural rivalries geographically. I mean, what I mean, they already play USC. USC's coming in. Uh, obviously, Michigan is is a longstanding rivalry, and they haven't played in a few years, but that's a big one. Purdue's an in-state rivalry. They've played. They've had a lot of battles with Michigan State. I mean, there's just a ton of natural rivalries. I just think that they feel like it's better off for them financially, at least at this point in time, to remain independent. And unless something, my prediction is this: unless something comes along with the playoff, where the powers that be decide you have to be in a conference to qualify for the playoff, I think that's literally the only thing that could happen that would push them into a into a conference. I don't know if anything else would do. Yeah, more power to Notre Dame. I love them being independent. I, I absolutely love it. I think uh, they should stay there as long as they can. I think one of the most annoying things to me about current landscape of college football is conference championship games are have just become like more just questionable than anything. You just get like a lot of weird rematches or games that don't seem to matter as much. Like the Michigan-Purdue game this last year in the Big Ten title game and the Georgia-LSU game. Yes, the games themselves might have been entertaining, but it's like, what are the stakes here if these guys are already, you know, pretty much clinched for the playoffs? So more power to Notre Dame. I think I think it's great what they're doing. And you look at their schedule, you can't say anything about their schedule. It's one of the toughest in college football. And they go 11-1 and one with that schedule. They're in the playoffs. So uh, more power to Notre Dame. I, I love what they're doing. And I, I honestly am rooting for them to stay independent because it seems like it's just like a big middle finger to the realignment. Like, we don't care. We're staying out here. A little bit of anti-establishment in you, man. I love it. I love it. So let's move on and talk about some of these conferences. I think that the one that we've mentioned the most is the Big Ten, and obviously they have a lot of things going on. But heading into this season, and Coach has asked this offline to me, but Michigan Ohio State are obviously the two marquee schools that are there. Penn State is also there as well. But the two teams that have sort of been jockeying for position in Michigan, after how many years of, of Jim Harbaugh as their coach, have finally seemed to have cracked the code and the big question is, have they overtaken Ohio State as the big dog in the big house in the Big Ten? Yeah, I think 100% they've surpassed Ohio State currently. Um, the previous two results have been just utterly indisputable. The dominance on the road last season, like that was just completely indisputable. And despite all of that, despite the fact they've won back-to-back -back years, this year it's going to be in Ann Arbor. Michigan gets it back at home. Ohio State will be favored again. And that's just the reality of how those rosters are built. I think, I, if I recall correctly, the sports books have been putting out spreads for that game already, as they did last year. Ohio State's favored again on paper. 
And so Michigan just has to look at that and, and wear that as a chip on their shoulder because I do think that is disrespectful because of how they've dispatched of Ohio State the past two years. I, I think that it's just completely shifted the vibe. I love that game right now. That game, I think, is the, the best game in the regular season on paper right now, just looking forward to it um, within itself as a vacuum without even any of the national stakes. Ohio State made the playoffs last year, and yet they lost that game, and that was all you could think about. Like They missed a field goal that would have sent them to the national title game, and yet in the offseason, what they're talking about isn't that field goal. It's about getting trounced by Michigan. So I, I just love it. It's everything that's great about college football right now. What's What I think is interesting about the matchup this year is – Ryan Day is going to be coaching for his job, I think, and because if they lose to Michigan three years in a row, I mean that could be the only game they lose all season. Uh, they could Michigan maybe by by whatever happens in the Big Ten, you know, Ohio State could end up in the the Big Ten championship against someone other than Michigan and win that and end up in the college football playoff. Outside of winning a national championship, I think that if they lose to Michigan, he's going to be like seriously on the hot seat, and so I think that sort of desperation could cause some interesting things to happen because I don't think, you know, Jim Harbaugh is going to be safe. I think Jim Harbaugh is only going to leave when Jim Harbaugh wants to leave at this point in time because, you know, unless things really go off the rails in the next few years. So I'm curious to see what what that sense of desperation does to Ohio State and, and Ryan Day in that situation. Yeah, that, that's the thing for me with Ryan Day. I I don't necessarily buy that a Michigan loss alone would put him on the hot seat. And I just think if the moment he starts losing other games, like if there was another loss in the way, that's when I think that Michigan game becomes a must win. Like if they lose a game to Wisconsin this year or they lose to Penn State, I think then the Michigan game becomes un like that 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 is a must win for Ryan Day because then it's like, okay, you're not beating Michigan and we're not taking care of business elsewhere. But in the in the scenario you just described where, you know, they go undefeated and then they lose to Michigan. I think they're probably still in the playoffs in that scenario. And I think it would be pretty, I think that's more competitive pressure than job security pressure. However, I think the needle is teetering towards job security pressure if he loses another game in there. Because so far, he's he's taking care of business the rest of the way. And, and the fact that if Ohio State field goal goes through the uprights last season, we're just, we're talking right now about how Ryan Day just won a national title at Ohio State. And how can Kyle McCord get them another national title? Because I think they would have trounced TCU in a similar manner to what we saw Georgia do. And I think I have a lot of confidence in that. But things could 100% flip. I mean, if Michigan you know, loses this game, Ohio State wins the game this year, it's just going to flip completely. The, the narrative on Ryan Day will be back to, oh, he's a great coach. And then the narrative on Jim Harbaugh will be, oh, he's a trash coach. He can't win big games. That's how thin the margins are at these big time schools and how many other schools nationally are teetering on just your rivalry game? Because there are a lot of rivalry games that take place that matter regionally to those schools, but does it matter to their their job security? And I think of Michigan, Ohio State in that way, and there, there can't be that many. It's just funny to think about it because the stakes are so high, but there are other schools in the Big Ten that could make a little bit of noise. And I know that you're very high on one of them that's right up the road from me, from me here in Virginia. Yeah, so so Maryland. I I am uh I, I I'm a little drunk on the Maryland Kool-Aid right now. Somebody might have spiked that uh punch bowl in the corner. Uh, but it's just a team that I, you know, I don't necessarily plan these things out. I don't say, okay, this team's going to be my sleeper this year. I go, I do my in-depth like full 24-hour analysis of the team and what they did this offseason, who they've added, what their coordinator situation is. 
And I just really, really like Maryland the more I look at him. Mike Loxley is back as head coach. Every year that he has been the head coach of Maryland, their record has improved. He was a former assistant at Alabama. He was an offensive coordinator under Nick Saban. And uh, they absolutely killed it in the portal. They struggled to protect Talia last season. They got three starting caliber offensive linemen in the portal. They also went in and got a few like legit stars on defense in the portal, which I think is going to help a defense that was really close last season. They had a couple of games where they showed flashes. Uh, some The only concerning thing is Talia uh, Tungavailoa. He, last season, he had a few moments where he looked a little shaky and his stats actually regressed a little. But I like him this year. Obviously, he got a $1.5 million NIL offer. Uh, by a school, so you know he's doing something right. Um, but the thing I like to point out about Mike's Loxley and Maryland is there was a story that broke around during the Super Bowl last year regarding uh, Jalen Hurts. And I don't know if you guys remember that story, but it was broken down that Jalen Hurts wanted to transfer from Alabama to Maryland because he wanted to follow Mike Loxley. And I don't call myself a conspiracy theorist, but the story goes that Nick Saban told him, oh, no, 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 you'd be better off going to Oklahoma and getting coached up by Lincoln Riley. And I'm saying, you know, maybe he might have actually believed that, but maybe there's a chance that Nick Saban knows how good Mike Loxley is capable of becoming. And he was like, I don't know if I necessarily want to give him Jalen Hurts this year because that might boost his timeline a little bit. So that's my tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. I'm here for it. Oh, for sure. And so I'm curious, like, what's the schedule look like for Maryland this year? I mean, is it is it a favorable schedule? No schedule is going to be favorable in the division they're in because they've got to play the Buckeyes. They got to play Michigan. They got to play Penn State. So even if they hit on everything and they're just as good as I think they'll be, they could still lose three games in the regular season. And uh, it's not even counting their cross-divisional games. I think they might draw Iowa this year. Maybe, but I mean, there's a couple teams in that other division that you draw this year, Wisconsin or Iowa or Minnesota that are going to be tough. So that's one of the reasons why I didn't go for the home run swing on Maryland. I think they're like 23rd or maybe maybe a little higher than that, maybe 20th in my preseason top 25 right now. Uh, but I'm definitely buying uh, long term. And I, I do think this year will be great. If you saw Mike Loxley, this was after, you know, I've already made my prediction stuff at Big Ten Media Day. Mike Loxley gets up in the podium and he says, uh, I think we've got a team that's good enough to contend for a conference title this year. And he said, hey, notice I've never said that before because I haven't believed that about any of my previous teams. So there's a coach with some confidence in his squad. Question. You mentioned Iowa. I've been somewhat critical of Iowa the last few years because I find them to be a very difficult watch. And last year, offensively, to start the season, they were, I, I can't even really put it into words how bad that they were in some of those early games. I know that Kirk Ferentz is always going to have a solid squad. He's been there forever. But is that a team that you see being a little bit better? Like if they make their offense just marginally better to what they were last year, which was not very good overall, do you see them as being one of those teams that could be pesky for an Ohio State or Michigan as we're getting up to playoff time? I don't think Iowa's capable of being a legitimate threat to consistently win those types of games in their current system. And that's just because their system is absolutely ancient. And Kirk Ferentz has shown a little give here and there, but he has not been willing to adapt his team. One of the biggest myths of this offseason that I get from my followers is they got Cade McNamara this offseason from Michigan. And people are thinking, oh, playoff quarterback, put him in the offense, offense gets better. But I look at them back and I say, guess what? Cade McNamara, what was he at Michigan? A system quarterback. You take a system quarterback and you put him in a bad system. That's 
that's not going to not going to do much because the system quarterback can only do as well as the system allows him. So he kept Brian Ferentz, which is a little bit of a nepotism going on there, in my opinion, uh, at offensive coordinator. But I think, you know, that's the meme. That's what everyone talks about. At Iowa, it was kind of always like this. But I feel like the last season is what really just it was like such a polarization of what we've already seen of an elite defense and then an offense that makes you want to rip your eyeballs out. So I remember in college, they they played Penn State and the final score was five to three. Like you could not make that kind of a score up and just just terrible, absolutely terrible. But Northwestern has made some news recently with the firing of their head coach, Pat Fitzgerald and everything. And that head coaching vacancy is up or at least they're going to hire somebody interim there. But uh, how do you see Northwestern looking with this new landscape now that they're getting away from a coach who'd been there for 17 years? Yeah, so, I mean, the hazing scandal was was pretty jarring. And so it's it's good that they acted quickly and Fitzgerald's gone. And I know that there was a lot of just, you know, weird back and forth going on there, but he's gone. There's an opening in the Big Ten, and that is a pretty big deal. It doesn't matter who it is. The Big Ten is clearly one of those conferences that is on an inside track to getting all their programs in a much better place to win. So they've got the interim right now, who's David Braun, who was the defensive coordinator at North Dakota State most recently. And so he's one of the hires, the new hires. He hasn't been with the program previously. He was hired this offseason by Pat Fitzgerald. And um, I don't know if he'll necessarily get the head coaching job offer. And that's because you look at the types of hires that have happened in the Big Ten recently, and it almost seems like the Big Ten has been putting a little bit more pressure on their programs to make big splash hires. You look at Nebraska, they go get Matt Rule. That was a pretty big hire. You look at Wisconsin, Paul Christ was doing just fine. I think five years ago, if Paul Christ has that exact same resume, they're keeping him. They fire him. They go make a big splash hire in Luke Fickle. So I think that this is a very underrated opening, and I think that we're going to get somebody hired here that is going to surprise some people because Northwestern can offer a coach at least $4 million a year right off the bat, even if they're not all that proven. And you look at some of the coaches in the ACC, the Mike Elkos, the Dave Clausens, the Dave Dorans, those are all guys that are going to be able to nearly double their salary instantly if they go take that Northwestern job. So it to me, I think it's really intriguing, and I would expect the name that eventually gets hired there, which probably won't be until the offseason. It seems like David Braun's going to leave the squad, lead the squad this year. I would expect that name to be pretty big. So do you have any, I know, like you said, we're five, six months away from being in a, a place where they're going to start you know, looking and naming that new head coach. But do you think there are any early front runners for that job? I think a guy that uh, you should keep, you should remember is, uh, the, what's his name? The uh, Giants current defensive coordinator or maybe offensive coordinator. He has strong ties to Northwestern. He was a quarterback there in like the mid 2000s although I'm, his name is completely escaping me. But the one that's in college football cor- currently is uh, going to be Jim Leonard. Jim Leonard was the defensive coordinator for Wisconsin last year, and he was honestly the favorite to take the Wisconsin job. And it was a big shock when they hired Fickle. And Leonard was also getting NFL buzz. And so he's a guy that really wants to stay in the Big Ten. And as evidenced by that, he recently took a job as an analyst at Illinois for this year, kind of taking a regressed role just he was going to take a year off anyway. So I, Brett Bielema probably got in his ear and just said, hey, just come help my guys out for a little bit. So I think Leonard's a guy to keep an eye on. And like I said, some of those ACC guys, I think they're close enough proximity-wise that I would not uh, be sleeping on one of those you know, surprise hires to swoop in from there. It pains me to hear you say that about the ACC, which we'll talk about now, because 
When we talked about college realignment, Virginia Tech was part of the start of some of that when they moved from the Big East to the ACC. And I remember how big of a deal it felt to be a part of that. And they went in and won the ACC. And now the ACC is, oh man, it's nothing but one or two schools and the rest of it have become a steaming pile of mediocrity, really. And it's not a fancy place where people go. Like to go from... Frank Beamer to where we are now to where it's a stepping stone job. It definitely pains me, but you're very, very high on Clemson. They had what is considered by Dabo a disappointing season last year. And I know there was a lot of turmoil over quarterback, but you're high on them. So high, in fact, that you're willing to step out on a limb and say something very, very big about them. Yeah, I, I am. So, I mean, I'll, I'll lead with the state of the ACC. I think, I think that exactly what you said. It's a couple of teams and then a steaming pile of you-know-what. Clemson, Florida State have have kind of, you know, Florida State's been a little inconsistent, but, you know, Clemson's been just completely in control. But it, the question for the ACC that I could have, if I could, if the ACC was a person and I could just grab it by the shoulders, who really wants to win here? Who wants to invest in their program enough to win? Miami? Do you want us to? Duke? North Carolina? Virginia Tech? Pitt? Wake Forest? Like, who wants to win in this conference? And so, it's something that's like almost frustrating. It's almost actively frustrating. Like there was a power vacuum in the ACC. I look at a program like Pittsburgh, something works, they win the ACC, and Pat Narduzzi lets his offensive coordinator walk and changes his scheme back to just run first. And I don't want another Kenny Pickett. Let's do what we we do here. And I'm, I'm just baffled at the conservative nature of a lot of these ACC teams that I think has led to the conference overall dipping. But to follow up on on what you promised, uh, Clemson, let's just get it out of the way. Clemson is my national title pick for 2023. And uh, it is Ooh. it is a pretty pretty out there take, and I don't see a lot of people doing that. In fact, everyone's talking about how Clemson's going to regress, Florida State's going to take control. But there's a lot of things for Clemson that are really attractive, in my opinion, which first is they have a proven system and a proven program that can win titles in this era. We've seen it multiple times. Uh, Dabo Swinney made the biggest mistake of his career, and we watched it happen. He hired Brandon Streeter from within as the offensive coordinator. It was a questionable move at the time. It proved to be questionable for two years, and he had to fire Streeter. Uh, he corrected that mistake. He goes out. Who does he hire? He hires Garrett Riley, who just was a key cog in the wheel that created one of the most improbable runs we have ever seen at TCU. And so Garrett Riley, what he was able to do with Max Duggan, who was the backup, at TCU, coming in and giving him the reins to an offense that has a guy like Cade Klubnick, who is one of the highest rated quarterbacks that they've had since Lawrence and Watson. I think that at his peak, Klubnick is capable of being the type of guy that Lawrence and Watson were at Clemson. I'm really excited about the offense, and I just think the defense never stopped being championship level at Clemson. They they are just shown up and they've shown out and they've still had a lot of really great games. They've had some ugly ones with you know the DJ Uyunglele saga. And uh, I, I just am, you know, put your money where your mouth is. I'm all in on Clemson. And it also boils down to a philosophy thing. I don't want to pick Georgia to win it all because that's such a small, small reward and, uh, you know, a fair amount of risk as well. Because what are the odds that Georgia three beats, right? So what I find interesting about, you know, the support for Florida State to make a run this year is I know they're going to be very talented. There's a lot of optimism about their season. But I think what people forget is... You know, there, there's very few of these, um, I don't know if you want to call them one-off championship situations. Coach O, Joe Burrow, LSU, um, we can talk about, you know, 
the the Florida State situation with gosh dang it, I just had the freaking coach who's at A and M's name in my freaking head, Jimbo Jimbo Fisher and Jameis Winston. You know, had their little run at Florida State, but it was just those were just blips on the radar. You know, like you're competing against the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Clemsons, the Ohio States. You have Michigan making a push to get into that conversation. There's a lot of consistency within those programs. Yeah, there have been maybe a down year here or there, but there's been a lot of consistency in competing at a championship level. Florida State's sort of the the new kid on the block. You know, I feel like they are making a, a big jump uh, to, to consider themselves really in the national championship conversation. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's wrong to anticipate a better season to maybe be in a position to potentially compete for – a an ACC championship, which would go through Clemson, um, which I don't anticipate happening. Like I agree with you on that, but I, I just don't know how they've gone from where they were last year to taking that jump to like, we're now in the national championship conversation. I, I just think that when you look at who they're competing against to be in that conversation, it seems like a reach. Yeah. For me, Florida state scares the crap out of me in that Clemson title pick because they're, they're the biggest opposing force in the ACC. And I, what people are banking on with Florida state is continuity. They are banking on that most of that roster coming back. They have 10 of their 11 defensive starters returning, including multiple first and second round NFL prospects that could have declared last year and been drafted and be, you know, at fall camp in an NFL team right now. Them being back is what people are banking on. People are banking on Travis making a leap. And I'm not going to lie, it does scare me. It does scare me when I'm picking Clemson. I like that that game's in Death Valley. I do see what people are talking about, the Florida State hype. I remember hearing the Florida State buzz before I had done my preview, and I was very skeptical. I did my Florida State preview, and afterwards I was no longer skeptical. I think they're one of those teams that in the offseason gets so much dark horse hype that they are no longer a dark horse. The same thing happened with Kansas State last season. They were getting so much dark horse hype that by the time the season rolled around, it's like, wait, does everyone have them in their preseason top 15? So it's something that happens every offseason. I think Florida State's that team. You're so right about the ACC, though, in that who wants to win it? Because the way I look at it from an insider's perspective is the ACC is a winnable conference for a lot of these other teams that are not named Clemson. And there's a lot of teams in that conference that at least can pull from some of that that culture of winning. I mean, Virginia Tech was winning in the early 2000s. Florida State was winning. Miami. Miami had that run in the early 2000s. That was the best college football team I ever got to see play live. And that... That program has a lot of winning in its past. And what baffles me is how they're unable to get consistent play and consistent winning across the board when nobody else in the conference is doing it outside of Clemson. Other than that, all you have to do is just continue to be a little bit better than all these other teams that are sitting and percolating at this level. And I don't understand where this mentality came from. I mean, Justin Fuente was gifted a situation. He had 11 wins in his first season and then unceremoniously let go after nothing. Like he would have been better off leaving for Baylor at at that point because he was rumored to go to Baylor. I don't understand it. It does frustrate me watching every year knowing that nobody in this conference is going to be worth anything. Even if they make it to the conference title game, it won't matter. I mean, the ACC winner last year, I don't even remember who won the ACC last year. Uh, Yeah, Clemson still ended up winning. Clemson didn't lose the game in conference, so... And, and it didn't matter because they weren't even in the picture. So, like, that's their conference. So if you're thinking they're going to get better, nothing else in the conference outside of Florida State probably has has taken a leap. And this is a conference that worries me. If they didn't have the historical ties to the beginning of college football, 
I could see this conference just getting gutted and, and split out into this conference realignment because why do they need to be there? If Clemson leaves, what else do they have to hold them there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, no one's stepping to the plate. I mean, North Carolina has flirted with it. I think Pittsburgh has has flirted with it. Miami's thought about it. Florida State has been, you know, up and down and up and down. I think a lot of those teams missed their window, though. There's no more divisions. They're just taking the two best teams now, and that really hurts a lot of their chances. Yeah, and Miami doesn't seem to have, uh, from what I understand, much of an interest, much support from the administration in trying to, like, build the football program back to what it was. They don't even have a stadium right now. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And, like, I think part of it, too, like we talked earlier about the, the potential of you know, Florida State and Clemson moving to the Big Ten and, like, you know, my kind of thought on that is I think that maybe they want that to be put out there a little bit. So the SEC says, wait a second, wait a minute. Like, we don't, you know, want you to stay down here with us. But what I do think is a possibility in the ACC is the restructuring of that deal because of the landscape of the ACC is restructuring that to give Florida State and Clemson a bigger chunk of that uh, media rights deal. I think that would be a good move for the ACC for starters, but obviously that would, you know, affect a lot of the other teams there. Yep. So speaking of conferences that are teetering, it's a conference that coach says that people, probably including myself, are literally and figuratively sleeping on. And that is your conference title, the Pac-12. They just lost a team in Colorado, and that's on the heels of Coach Prime coming. And we know that UCLA and USC are going to be leaving, and that leaves some pretty decent teams, including your Oregon State uh, Beaver. So how do you feel about the Pac-12 now, and what do you think about its future? So I've got my... uh... Pac-12 water bottle, courtesy of Pac-12 Media Day, so I'm, I'm rocking it. But yeah, the Pac-12's what I grew up on, so it being on uneven ground is is a scary thing, and I don't think it would be good for college football as a whole. I might be a little bit biased, but I think one a conference, the sole conference on the West Coast collapsing just would not be a good thing for a lot of those programs out there. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that Colorado leaving is as big of a deal as some people are are trying to you know lead you on to think because Colorado was dreadful in the Pac-12 like they yes they have you know a bit of a history they have a bit of a program history that's decent I think they even won a championship in the 90s uh, and th- you know it's just in the Pac-12 they were horrible and so I think if the dust were to settle now and the Pac-12 were to get a deal done and then get a few teams because you know they pretty much have to at this point with nine teams I think that that Colorado move is going to age pretty poorly to the Big 12. Just like, ugh, why did they pick up that? Like, staying over there. Unless, you know, of course, Coach Prime turns things around over there. But certainly, I think you if you see another domino fall, the panic button it should probably be pressed. Because you, you lose UCLA and USC. That's obviously catastrophic. But then it starts to feel like things have evened out a little bit more. Okay, where's the deal? Where's the deal? Where's the deal? Losing Colorado, some people are acting like that's the last card that's going to make the whole house of cards tumble. I don't think Colorado is that. I think that an ASU is that. I think that a Utah is that. I think that an Oregon or a Washington, any of those schools leaving, that is that crushing blow because that's going to make the other big schools, I think, become just instant flight risks. Uh, We got to get out of here. Even if the, the main name being floated out there right now by pretty credible sources is U of A. Even if U of A goes away, that's a blow to basketball, obviously, but to football, as far as like television viewership and and all that stuff, that's also not catastrophic because you still have the Oregon, you still have the Washington and the Utah and and obviously Arizona State, I think, I think overall is slightly better than U of A. I might be biased as a Sun Devil alum. 
yeah, I don't know. The, it's obviously, it's really hard to predict because I haven't been able to predict anything. Uh, like I say, I, I remember some people were saying Colorado was a flight risk before, so you could kind of see that one coming at least. So what do you think maybe like the root cause of this kind of uh, crumbling or the early stages of crumbling of the Big 12 is? I mean, obviously I heard that there was some inequity maybe with uh, the TV deal or, you know, once upon a time, maybe USC and UCLA got more than they decided they were going to spread the money evenly, which pissed them off. And, and and so they looked for greener pastures. But do you think that is it is it the geography and the time slot that hurts them? Is it maybe the fact that, you know, I, Oregon's had a few runs. It's been a little while since USC has been uh, a really a national title contender. But is it the lack of maybe a national champion you know, someone competing for a national championship from the conference consistently, you know, what, what do you, I guess, curious, what do you think has led to this? Uh, I think, I think it's been an investment issue and I think it's come back to, to bite the PAC 12 and it's been a lack of aggression from the PAC 12. I actually, so I started reading this book called the system recently and it was published back in like 2000 and like 11, I think 2012 maybe. And so it was something that I didn't think would be very relevant to the modern landscape. But one of the featured stories in there is about how Washington State's athletic director, they hired a new one in like 2010 who marched into the Pac-12 and said, uh, I don't like the fact that these LA schools are getting more money than us. Let's renegotiate this. And so he got enough votes to renegotiate and they distributed it evenly. And then uh, there's literally a line in the book, and this is in 2012, where it says like, the USC and UCLA ADs threatened to leave the Pac-12 and the Washington State AD called their bluff. And it's like, well, did he call their bluff? It seems like they weren't necessarily bluffing there and it caught up to them eventually. Um, you guys were obviously more present for that. I wasn't necessarily football conscience conscious, but the Pac-12 was the aggressor. They went and they got Utah and Colorado. They were trying to get Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Tech and uh, some other school, I think Oklahoma State, uh, at one point, and they just whiffed. And so they were the aggressors. And you could argue this whole thing is the Pac-12's fault because they put that in the back of all these conferences' minds of, hmm, that could happen. And the Big 12 probably got a little scared saying, whoa, whoa, like we just almost lost like our whole conference basically. So you could argue it's the Pac-12's fault. They've done it to themselves. And I would say from a sense of not having a national title contender, uh, it certainly hasn't helped. It hasn't helped that USC was floundering in, in uh, you know, NCAA allegations or whatever and violations. And it didn't help that Oregon choked a couple of natties away. Uh, it didn't help that Washington had such a long down period there. They've, you know, certainly been picking up some slack. But there's just a lot of stuff that happened with the Pac-12 that certainly did not help. And I think it's a combination of many things, including incompetent leadership uh, in the last couple of commissioners we've had. I can't even remember what the name of the last guy was. Uh, he was that awful. <laughs> so how was media day? Yeah, media day was a lot of fun. From a from a pure football perspective, it was just so much fun. The food was absolutely amazing. They like treated us really well. They had a, a full funnel cake bar. Never seen that in my life. It was, it was awesome. Um, but I, I was able to meet so many coaches. I, I literally was like, at like the breakfast bar and just saw turn and saw Jonathan Smith. So I just walked up to him, introduced myself, talked to him for a little bit. Super nice guy. No surprise there. I think like one of the most level headed coaches in football. Talked to talked to so many just different players and coaches. And it was just so surreal just being able to like just ask them a question, just throw something at them and see how how they respond. So I'd say some of my biggest takeaways are Jonathan Smith's very level headed. 
Michael Penix Jr. is just completely about football. I asked him about a play in the Oregon game, and he was able to recall the exact play and the exact throw like perfectly. Somebody asked him what he does in his free time. He said, I just do football, to be honest with you. I just, I love that response. Um, I, I just, it was, it was really awesome. I, I really enjoyed my time there. So could you kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, how, how did that come to be, right? I mean, from obviously everyone sees you as the, you know, TikTok creator, you're, you're now a podcaster. Here you are now at Pac-12 Media Day. So like what, what was kind of the process that led you to getting credentials and then heading to Vegas? Yeah, I mean, once, once the amount of followers started to grow and the amount of like influence you have starts to grow and the amount of people that are following you, you just start to think about these things. This is never something I would have necessarily thought about doing. And I thought, okay, like what's the practical application of this or what's something I can do? And I had always thought about getting credentials to go to games maybe potentially when the season comes. Still going to test that. We'll see how that goes. But uh, I, I was like, oh, Pac-12 Media Day is going on essentially down the street. It's a four-hour drive, which is like really nothing when you think about it in Vegas. And so I just... I just looked up like who is the media person for the Pac-12, found them, emailed them. I just sent them all my stuff. I was like, this is all my account and like the influence I have. Like, let me know if you can get me in there. And he was like, yeah, go, come on in. And uh, so gave me some credentials. It was just, it happened very quickly. And I'm glad I thought about it because it was a great experience and uh, really rewarding, I think, because I went to journalism school and I'm outside of that. I'm not necessarily using my journalism degree. And so being there in a journalistic capacity I think was was a pretty rewarding thing. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask you is that your your journalism background that that event is pretty much for people that are, you know, using those kinds of skills and you did ask Lincoln Riley a question. You did put out a video on that and I thought that you were incredibly poised. I thought you asked it like, I, "Yeah, I belong here." I kind of love that you're a, the 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 um I can't even think of the word right now, but the way that you came off asking that question is not like, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm happy to be here. It was like, no, I belong here. And I thought that was, that was incredible. I mean, I, I respect that very highly. Oh yeah. I wasn't going to mess around when I, when I got the credentials, I was there to put in work and ask some, ask some good questions. Did anyone recognize you? Uh, no, no one recognized me. It was a lot. It was just a lot of journalists, a lot of journalists. Um, I also, I met, uh, Brett McMurphy, who's like the woge of college football, um, Heather Dinich is someone I've always really looked up to. I met her, her business cards on the wall, actually behind me, you can kind of see it. Uh, I met the guys who run Reddit College Football. I've actually interacted with them a few times on Twitter, so they remembered my username at least. But uh, surprisingly, no, nobody recognized me. I've actually never been recognized in public before, which is pretty wild because I've got a roommate who also is like kind of big on TikTok and he gets recognized all the time out in public. So I guess it, it's just got to be a, a matter of time. Well, man, after the 200 and some odd people that subscribe to this channel see this video, they're going to recognize you instantly <laughs> whenever you go out, especially in Peoria, Illinois, because that is where you're going to find yourself at some point uh, hanging out with us. But you did ask us offline if we wanted to do a little fan minute with our particular teams. And as we've discussed, it's Virginia Tech and Notre Dame. So uh, would you like to give us, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily want to hear your opinion on Virginia Tech, but would you like to give us a few thoughts on our respective teams? Yeah, 100%. Uh, I'll, I'll make it short and sweet for you guys. Uh, I kind of broke it up into a few different a few different points, and uh, I'll just do both teams at the same time. So we'll start with the good news. Good news. At Notre Dame, Hartman gives this offense absolutely elite upside and gives them dimensionality. That is fantastic. It's something that the offense seriously lacked last season, and seeing that come in, especially with how the running game developed, that is a chef's kiss. 
Uh, Thomas Harper and Javante Dean Baptist, future stars in this defense uh, on, on that side of the ball. Very encouraging to see them come in this offseason. And they have the strength of schedule to take a loss and make the college football playoff. And for Notre Dame, that is the good news for Virginia Tech. Kyron Drones gives you a backup plan if Grant Wells doesn't get it together this season. Heck, he might even win the job this fall. So Kyron Drones, I think, is a guy that it, you, is, you should really be excited about. That's some good news. Defense last year, guess what? It wasn't actually bad. The injury luck was was not great. And so because it was injury luck that led it to be like less than less than good, but not bad. If you can stay healthy this year, I think that's, you know, something to be excited about. Prize expertise on defense has been paying dividends. And that's something that I think has shown on paper. It's shown in the portal. It's shown with some of the guys they've been able to get in there. Josh Fuga, Mario Kendricks and Norrell Pollard, all fifth year tackles. Uh, that's a really great building block for a defense, having veteran tackles and defensive line depth. Let's get to the bad news. Uh, Notre Dame's schedule is brutal. It was in the good news. It's also in the bad news. I don't know of a single other school in college football that has to play three legit playoff contenders in Clemson, Ohio State, and USC. Like they're, Those three teams are like all top seven in championship odds. Like That is unreal. Then you've got Duke, NC State, and Louisville in there. And then even that game against Navy, I think, could be tricky in Dublin in just a weird place. Navy lost five one-score games last season. They can keep games close. And I think you kind of know that about Navy, their style of offense. And losing Tommy Reese, I think that that could be bad, especially for Sam Hartman, losing the guy that you kind of wanted to be your coordinator there. At Virginia Tech, uh, there's no promises that the offense improves at all. Absolutely no promises, no certainty there, especially with how absolutely tragic the offense was last season. Uh, Non-conference, you're not going to get any praise for winning in the non-conference, but it is sneaky tough. Old Dominion, Purdue, Marshall, and Rutgers, I always joke that Old Dominion Virginia Tech is the best rivalry in the state of Virginia, and that's because they've given the Hokies more problems than the Cavaliers have. So you're just, there's no, the road game at Marshall too, who scheduled that? Why would they schedule that? Uh, so overall, overall takeaway, Notre Dame, I think they're fringe playoff contenders. I would be way more confident about them being playoff contenders if two things were true, if their schedule was just ever so slightly easier, maybe replace USC with, you know, another a group of five school next time or something like that. And also Gerard Parker at, as the coordinator, I don't know about him. So if I'm slapping a record on it, I'm going 10 and two for Notre Dame. And then for Virginia Tech, I actually am optimistic. I think they can return to a bowl game this year. And I think that they're a team that could take advantage of the heaping pile of poverty that's in the ACC. So I would throw seven wins on them right now. That's my personal opinion. I actually like Pry as a coach long-term. I think an improved defense serv for serviceable offense should should get some solid wins overall. I like hearing that. And I also believe that Pry was handed nothing good at the no. end of the Fuente administration. And I remember last year, and I usually don't get into it on social media with people, but the Hokie Nation was very unfair to that program. And sure, you could heap criticism on a program that went from where they were 20 years ago to where they are now. But there are a lot of programs nationally who can say that who haven't been relevant in a long time. And I think it just takes a little bit of time. It's funny though, and I mentioned this to coach before about how coaches generally don't get a lot of time anymore. But I think at a school like Virginia Tech where the stakes aren't as high as they are somewhere else, I think he could be given a longer leash and, and build a program out. And we may see Virginia Tech take over some of the ACC in, in a few years, but it remains to be seen. And I, I can't disagree on Notre Dame. I mean, they're clearly 
much better than Virginia Tech ever has been. Yeah, a couple interesting tidbits about Notre Dame that I've gathered so far since they've opened up camp. So, yeah, like Jared Parker, obviously a concern. You know, he he was a co-offensive coordinator at West Virginia, but he wasn't the primary play caller. You know, he, he was the tight ends coach, took over for Tommy Reese when Notre Dame kind of fumbled um, the Andy Lug- Ludwig possibility with Utah, which was really disappointing. Uh, one thing I've heard so far is that Tom, you know, Tommy Reese was kind of out there. Yeah, it was more of a pro style offense, but at times it was more about like, I want to show you how smart I am it was the way he ran his offense a little bit. And it sounds, you know, by all accounts, like the way things have looked so far is there, there's there been a very concerted effort to cater the offense towards the playmakers and getting the ball, in the, which it sounds like common sense. Right. But like. It's not always the way it goes, right? I mean, coaches, coordinators, they, they have egos. And, and I'm not I'm not a Tommy Reese hater by any means. I mean, I, I obviously the best coach in college football history just hired him to be his offensive coordinator. Like that that alone tells you everything you need to know about Tommy Reese, in my opinion. But I, I am excited to see what a, a fresh perspective could do. I think that a, a couple of things that concern me, obviously, like Notre Dame has an extremely deep running back room. I mean, obviously, Audrick Estime, the bell cow, but they've got some young guys in there. You know, they have Jadarian Price, who missed last season with injury, who's incredibly fast and dynamic. So it'll be interesting to see some of these guys and how they use them in the offense. I've heard reports about, uh, you know, Sam Hartman targeting, you know, he's he's growing a relationship with Chris Tyree since they've moved Chris Tyree to receiver. And it's almost like he's intentionally targeting him a ton, which is great. And But I don't know how to take that. Is that a good sign or a bad sign? Because does that mean that, you know, as far as the other receivers, Notre Dame has a very very talented yet unproven receiving core and uh, tons of potential, but potential doesn't win games. And so, you know, in my mind, I was actually talking to my dad about this last night. I'm like, you know, if, if you're going out there to beat Notre Dame, if I had the game plan to beat him tomorrow, it is, you know, stack the box, stop the running game and take away Chris Tyree and make Sam Hartman beat you with these young, unproven receivers. If Notre Dame's not able to do that, if a couple of those receivers aren't able to step up and assert themselves, then they got some big, big body guys out there that could be national names if they go out there and perform up to uh, you know expectations or, or what their potential is which there's a lot between now there's a lot between expectations of potential and actually performing but you know if those guys could go out there and be what people hope they could be this team could be special but it'll be interesting to see how how it all transpires and and I'm looking forward to you know kind of seeing how the offense looks seeing how they use different players I think like I said with the running back room being so deep I think there's going to be I think they're going to use some of the running backs in different ways in the offense um, and try to find creative ways to get them the ball in space, which is going to be fun to see. And then, you know, the schedule, like you said, the schedule's so tough. And, and in my mind, you know, kind of the statement I made to my dad last night was if if they're able to win two of the three big games, like in my mind, that's that shows upward trajectory. Like, you know, the program is definitely moving in the right direction if they're able to win two of those three. Now, depending on how those games actually go, you know, when I take one of three, you know, if the other two are close and competitive. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not uh, I'm not irrational. Like, I, I know that, you know, Marcus Freeman's in his second year on the job. Like, you know, it, this is no different than, you know, I'm not taking Notre Dame and putting them, you know, firmly in the national title conversation for the same reason that I have hesitancy about Florida State. You know, like, hey, like you're the new kid on the block, like, you know, prove that you can put 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 it together consistently before you anoint yourself, per se. Yeah, I agree. I agree with a lot of what you just said. I love it, guys. We've had a great, great time talking college football, but it is time for Coach and I to let you in. We have we have asked you a ton of questions, and you have 
educated our audience and now it is time for us to let you in on a little bit of what we got going on. Iceman's stat of the week. Normally, Coach and I do a little bit of fun stuff where we have a little personal flair at the end of the show. And Tyler, I always give a stat of the week. And I'm going to give credit here to College Sports Only on Twitter. Now, y'all remember Stetson Bennett last year? He was like 30 years old. Exactly. Stetson Bennett got made fun of a lot for being old. He's younger than we are. But he got made fun of for being old, being a national title winner. Anyway, there is a player that just transferred to North Carolina State. This is probably a name that Tyler knows, but it is Bradley Rosner. He is going into his eighth college football season at NC State because this is the lineage of how he got here. 2016 was an injury redshirt in junior college. 2017, another injury redshirt in junior college. 2018 was a redshirt freshman at junior college. 2019, redshirt sophomore. He sat out his COVID year in 2020 with an injury. He was a redshirt junior at Rice in 2021, a redshirt senior at Rice in 2022. And this year, he's getting his bonus year at NC State. I love stuff like that because the COVID stuff, people are out there that you don't even realize they have been playing for a while. So he is in his eighth season. And I just, I'm tickled by stuff like that. That's too good. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, how how old is he to the... It doesn't say how old he is, but just thinking about it, he's, what, 25, 26 years old or something? At least, I would think. Yeah, for sure. That's crazy. I mean, it sucks. I mean, obviously, the only way you can get to that point is by being injured several times uh, and then with COVID on top of it. But, yeah, that's just, that's wild. What position does he play? He's a wide receiver, I believe. Okay, okay. So he's a guy who can at least make an impact in NC State. You never know. The ACC is crap. The, the funny part is I, he actually might make an impact. He's a solid wide receiver. Like he, he could genuinely be doing good stuff out there. Exactly. I love that kind of stuff. So Tyler, the next thing that we do is called Coach's Pick of the Week. I will save you the fanfare. But in an effort for transparency, I do want to show everybody what Coach has going on. So well, that's not good. Yeah, Tyler, just to give you a little bit of insight into what we do here. Uh, after the Super Bowl, we reset the clock and Coach has been picking one game per week every episode that we have had. Unfortunately for Coach, he is on an 11-game losing streak and recently picked Brazil over France in the Women's World Cup. I did watch the second half of that game. France was up, Brazil equalized, and then in like the 83rd minute or 84th minute, France took over and won the game. So Coach is now 2-12. and Now, we are not going to put that stink on you, but we do want to invite you to be the stand-in picker, kind of like game day, uh, and we want you to make a bold prediction for our listeners and viewers. So the floor is yours, sir. All right, yeah, I've got a pretty bold prediction. I didn't want to make one that I I couldn't go affirm in person and be a part of. Uh, And so my my bold prediction will be happening on September 10th. This is Texas Tech hosts the Oregon Ducks in week two in Lubbock. I will be at this game, and my bold prediction is that Texas Tech upsets Oregon in this game in week two. I love it. The conviction in your voice and you're traveling to Lubbock, Texas. I've never been, by the way. Neither have I. So it's it's going to be a first for me. I'm driving down there. Uh, it's just a game that instantly stood out to me on the calendar. I love what uh, Joey McGuire and company are doing there. It's also a revenge game for Tyler Shuck, the quarterback at Texas Tech. He was formerly at Oregon. He was a starter there at one point. But then I think he was a starter during the COVID year, actually 
kind of got chased out of town for uh, the grass being greener on the other side of the fence. But now he's at Texas Tech, so chance for a revenge game. Well, I'm going to watch that game for sure. Now, that's a little bit of a wait to see, but I, I, I swear, Coach, if he goes 1-0, I think we're just going to retire the pick of the week altogether. I hope he does, man. Like, if it's good for the show. Uh, it's good for the show. I hope you go 1-0. I hope this is, uh, that would be an exciting, um, exciting thing in college football for that to happen and for you to be able to be there while it happens would be great. Um, I've really embraced being expertly mediocre. Um, I'm, I'm here for it. I don't know if mediocre is the word I would use. <laughs> expertly <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Awful. In all transparency, though, you haven't tried to pick bad picks. You no, have legitimately I- been picking games and players that are people that people are picking elsewhere. So you're not even trying to be bad for the sake of the show. This is just bad luck. You have no luck right now, and it has made for great content. I will say that. Yeah, I haven't gone out on a limb at all. It's not like, I mean, these have all been very respectable picks for the most part. I mean, I mean, now there have been a couple, like I picked a couple of NASCAR races, so it's one guy against the field. Like the odds aren't great. I picked the open um, again, one guy against the field, odds aren't great, but you know, kind of the fun in picking those is it is, those would be big wins. Like if they came through, which is fun. And like, I've like the NASCAR race, I was close, right? He got like second or third or something. I mean, it's been fun. And like a lot of them have been, they've been very close And the, the only time that it was ever like a pick that wasn't really what I believed was we did a little reverse psychology in the Stanley cup playoffs, right? Because we wanted was it that we want Carolina to win, right? And so, and who were they playing? Were they playing Houston? Houston. You've... Dallas, Jesus. Who Was that who it was? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or no, were they playing the Panthers? Yeah, it was something like that. But you tried to get cute and you, you did it. And it. Yeah, and that might have been actually one one of the ones we lost, but it was like our actual preferred outcome. Like, uh, But other than that, man, it's been just straight up legit picks that have just been terrible. <laughs> It's almost impressive at this point. It's like when someone's NCAA tournament bracket, they like almost miss all the games in the first round. And it's like, that's almost as impressive as picking a a perfect first round. Oh, you should have seen our tournament brackets. They weren't any better than that. But people don't come here for expert analysis. We like to say that we're for the every fan, but you certainly brought the analysis today. So as we bump up to the end of our recording time, Tyler, do you want the viewers and listeners to know anything else about you outside of what we have already talked about and this is your minute to plug whatever you'd like yeah i'm so i'm I'm branching out just from tiktok uh recently i'm on instagram now at cf budge on facebook for all you old heads out there only have four facebook followers right now that's not a huge market but hey that's that's why i'm trying to connect with uh with people that that are still using facebook and then i've got youtube as well all cf budge uh, and as well i'm on spotify now so uh weekly show called In the Trenches with Tyler Budge. So got cool stuff going on all over the place. And uh, yeah, just go check me out on all those places. If you like the TikTok content, you're probably going to like the content there as well. I think you're doing excellent work, my man. I know that Coach and I appreciate you taking the time out. um, And we hope that all of our followers follow you because I think you can learn a lot. I know I learned a lot, but uh, Coach, do you have any parting thoughts? Just Tyler, sincerely appreciate you taking the time, like, like Matt said. and. I've really, truly enjoyed your content. I'm a fan. I encourage everyone out there to go check it out if you haven't seen it already because it's a lot of fun and educational about the history of college football and different things. So it's a great time. And I'm just looking forward to football season getting started and 
you know, kind of looking forward to maybe some opportunities along the way for us to kind of collaborate again at some point in time throughout the season and, and have a good time with all this, man. So thank you. Heck yeah. Hey, thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And before we get you out of here, a couple of administrative items. Don't forget to support the Pub Time Podcast. That is Coach's other podcast. You can find that wherever it is that you find your podcast. Make sure that you are supporting everything that Tyler mentioned and everything that we have plugged on here because he's got a lot of knowledge and we always support the people who support us. Support the Matty Ice Media Network with the other podcasts that we have, MattyIceMedia.com. And like Tyler, you can find us on TikTok at INC Sports is the way to do that. INC Sports, we got other podcasts, not just this. We have The Cornerman, which is boxing. We have Basketball U, which is the NBA. Flashing the Leather, which is baseball. And we got a lot more stuff coming up. But fellas, it has been a wonderful time. I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you safe. And as always, this is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty S Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.